You know, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I kind of held my frustration and my anger. And I had no idea who Jeff Fry was until you brought that up. Spring training 2019 is going to be an absolute dogfight. Yeah, it took him to the second deck. My bad. Welcome to episode 18 of Digging In with JPR and Sebia. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne. And today we are joined on the show by Rowdy Telez. The record-breaking rookie, left-handed slugger, and all-around likable guy who's maybe going to be manning first base for the Blue Jays in the future. Yeah, definitely a pretty special story. Um, I don't know if you saw I retweeted the uh, video of him hugging his dad. Honestly, one of the uh, I mean, one of the more emotional videos that I've seen in baseball. It took me back um, to obviously my mom and hugging her on the first time. And then obviously, you know, with the passing of his mother and seeing his father, I don't think uh, that you're able to watch that video and have a dry eye, a lot of emotions, you know, dreams all happening, uh, people that you wish could see it uh, not being there. So it's pretty special. Um, and it's been fun to watch. He's a great kid. I've been around him. Uh, so again, you're, you're right. This could be uh, the beginning of a, of a future one B for the, Toronto Blue Jays. So speaking of the future, I think in the last couple of days, really the rest of the season is about watching guys and trying to figure out who has a future and what that future could look like with this franchise. But the Blue Jays got a really cool glimpse because they had this three-day run in a row and it was Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So on Saturday, Reed Foley, five innings, 10 Ks, no runs allowed. Then Pannone comes out next day, Sunday, seven innings against the New York Yankees, two earned runs. Monday, out comes Baraki, maybe even better, eight innings, seven Ks, one walk, no earned runs. So the Blue Jays had this little window where you got a glimpse of what this trio could be and what this trio is doing right now. So I'll just ask you, JP, which of those starts were you most impressed with and what is your impression of this group going forward? Because I think we've heard for the last little bit there's been where's the starting depth, where's the starting depth, can this team develop some young arms? And now it looks like we're potentially seeing them. Yeah, I think Barucki obviously would be the most impressive, but they're all impressive. And again, you know, as we talked about before on this show, the fun part of September when you're out of it is being able to see what the team's future looks like. So you're you're seeing these young guys, you're seeing what can possibly happen. Uh, again, you can't buy in too much, but you can't uh, shy away from being optimistic. I think Barucki has shown since he's come up, the one of the biggest things for me is how he was able to adjust after a really tough start against the Yankees to then be able to continue to get better and go out there and, and have uh, success. Another thing that with these pitchers that I think is, is fun to watch is don't forget that they're working with young catchers. And I think that's impressive in itself when you have guys back there that are inexperienced around the league. Um, but are able to start learning how to call games, getting more comfortable calling with these pitchers. So I think it's it's more than just even being excited about the young pitching. It's being excited about watching these guys match up with their young catchers. I, I talked to Danny Jansen. He said that he's starting to feel much more comfortable back there. There's learning adjustments for everybody. Uh, again, the only thing that I would say, though, is remember, for these pitchers, it's the first time through the league. So hitters are at a disadvantage so again, it's very optimistic to be able to see what they're doing, but also understand that there could be a little bit of growing pains. Uh, we see, we've see we seen Sean Reed Foley. He's bounced back, and Pannone has been freaking 
awesome. So it's been fun to watch. And uh, again, very optimistic for the future. I'm glad you mentioned Danny Jansen there because I'm a guy personally, one of the things I love about baseball is trying to watch what catchers do from a game calling perspective. It's one of those things very hard to quantify, but if you're really into a baseball game, it's really fun to watch. And with Reed Foley in his last start, I thought it was really interesting what Jansen did, which was just simplify, simplify, simplify. Like he had 10 Ks in that day, didn't throw a curveball, threw 3% change-ups, almost no change-ups. He went fastball slider, and you can't do that all the time, especially against a left-handed heavy team necessarily, but he really got Reed Foley back to his roots, back to his best two pitches. And, you know, you want to start to be maybe a little bit longer than what happened that day, but... He was really impressive, and I thought that that was really smart work by Jansen identifying, okay, here's what's going to work today. Here's this game plan we can use that's going to keep things simple for Reed Foley. And, you know, when you get 10Ks against a team like the Yankees, that's always a good showing. Yeah, and again, as a catcher, he's going to, you know, start to get better at recognizing hitters, what hitters' tendencies are without having to go over scouting reports I mean, it's just being able to be comfortable with literally playing the Yankees and knowing what Aaron Judge, knowing what Giancarlo Stan, what they like and what they don't like, what they have success with, what they don't, without having to look at a scouting report. And I think one thing that he was doing really good with Sean Rifoli is being able to call breaking balls to both sides of the plate, you know, back doors to lefties, back foot to lefties, going back and forth. Uh, a, a slider doesn't only work as one pitch it depends on which side of the plate that you throw it can make a difference so I think he did a really good job with that and I'll tell you what I got to spend some time down in Florida uh, with the Blue Jays and their their um, instructional league they call it a rookie camp uh, with the younger guys and the way that they're they're really teaching these guys uh, and and the way they're going about their instruction and coaching I think that there's going to be a lot of success we're starting to see you know, a lot of a lot of prospects coming up, a lot of big name prospects and guys that are developing. They have a really, really unique way of teaching and it's been fun to watch. And again, it, it, it gives me the opportunity to really feel like, hey, there is something special brewing. There's a lot of young, real, real good young players that they have, especially ones that are on the way, even, you know, Bichette and Vladdy and Biggio, uh, Pearson. There's a lot of these guys that are going to be coming. And again, as we've seen with the Braves, Young players can win. I mean, the Braves are going to win, most likely, the NL East. Yeah, I think that it's going to be interesting because, as you mentioned, arguably the the top, top guys, we haven't seen them yet. You know, obviously, we've talked about Vladdy all year. We've talked about Bichette all year. Nate Pearson's a guy I think that a lot of people, especially the injuries he had this year, it's kind of set him back a bit. But his talent is unbelievable. You're going to see him in the Arizona Fall League. And that's kind of where I wanted to get at with these three. Because these three that we're seeing now, and this is not to discredit what they bring to the table, is probably, it's not like your future top three of the Blue Jays, you know. Uh, Reed Foley is a power guy. Maybe he's more middle rotation. A lot of variance with him. Barucki, again, throwing low 90s, kind of a middle rotation guy. Pannone, maybe more of a back rotation guy. But that's that's fine. That's exciting too. It's exciting to see them build parts of a team. It's not necessarily about this guy's the next superstar. It's about this guy is a guy we're going to have for six plus years who's going to be an important contributor to this team. Not every prospect story is about a guy who ends up being a 40 home run hitter or a guy who's going to be the ace that you throw in a wild card game or the beginning of a playoff series. Well, there's roles within a team, and the, and they'll settle in, right? That's the that's the fun part about this game is, one, there's going to be an offseason, and I'm sure they're going to make some acquisitions. 
The other thing is, is there's a surplus of players. I mean, look at their roster, how many good players that they have that they're having to mix and match. I mean, they got four catchers on their roster right now. You know somebody is going to have to be traded. Something's going to happen, okay? There's a lot of outfielders, a lot of infielders, and a lot of pitching and young pitching. So I think also it's something to be excited about because you know – that there's going to be some acquisitions. And these guys that are going up there and doing well in the big leagues, it's only starting to raise their trade value. It's only starting to open up more teams uh, to possibly wanting these guys. So again, I think it's I think it's something to be really excited about. But this is a tough game. And not everyone's going to pan out. But again, one thing that will happen is – these guys will start to set the tone in the sense of what they're going to settle in as. I don't believe – I think Barucki is going to be a really, really good starter. Uh, I don't – I mean, if he struggles, can he can he go to the bullpen? Can he be the back of rotation? The same thing for Panone. Sean Reed Foley, I think he has the kind of ability that if it doesn't work as a starter, I think he could be a guy that goes into the pen and is in the back end of the pen. And now you're talking about his fastball that's 95, plays up to 98, and all of a sudden, now you have a Giles who's been perfect back there, and then a Sean Reed Foley that can help you out in the seventh and eighth. And you start, that's how you, you know, you, you kind of have to let these guys, you give them the rope, and then when they kind of, you know, they, they'll pop their heads out in, in some kind of role for the team. Yeah, I think that the worst case scenario for these guys that we're talking about, this trio of pitchers, is still pretty good. Like you said, Sean Reed Foley. If he doesn't make it as a starter, which I think he probably will, I think he's got enough variance in his repertoire to do it. But if he doesn't, you know, he could be a big bullpen arm. When you're talking about two lefties, like you can always find a job for a left-handed pitcher who's got an ability. And so a guy like Pannone, maybe he is, you know, maybe he doesn't have quite the gas to stick as a starter. We'll see. Maybe ends up being a lefty who can give you length out of the bullpen. There's a ton of value there. Baraki. If he doesn't make it as a starter again, I think that he will. I think two out of those three guys will. That's my personal opinion. But if he somehow didn't, you know, he's a guy who could give you some innings out of the bullpen as well. So even getting and developing major league players is difficult. And it should be commended when it happens, even, again, if they don't wind up being the superstars. Because it looks like the superstars is going to be, you know, Vladdy, Bo maybe. Nate Pearson has that kind of ability too when he gets on his way back. Listen, you know that I'm a positive poly over here, and I think that all three of them have the ability to be starters. My my biggest thing is the it's a positive because if they don't, there's other opportunities for them, and that's the that's kind of the good thing about pitching, right? Like if you don't get it done as as a starter in the big leagues as a position player, I mean, can you go to the bench? Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't doesn't necessarily. That's probably not good for you. But if you can't get it done as a start in the big leagues, there's ample, ample just examples of guys that go to the bullpen and all of a sudden are monsters in the bullpen in a good way. So uh, this team, again, is it's fun to watch. Smith Jr. had some good at-bats. Davis has been having some good, at ba- some good at-bats. Reese has been really good defensively behind the dish and, and has some great at-bats. Danny Jansen. All these young guys, I mean, Aledmus Diaz has been playing like an all-star. He's been lights out. So it's a lot of fun. And then you think there's going to be some exciting uh, opportunities because then you still have Tulowitzki who's going to be getting healthy and getting ready to come back next year. There's going to be a Strowman that's going to be healthy. There's going to be a Sanchez who's going to – he's battling through stuff, and I'm sure he's going to come in healthy and hungry. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity for this team next year. Yeah, spring training – 
2019 Toronto Blue Jays is going to be an absolute dogfight in terms of who gets these roster spots and who gets these roles because there's so many young players who are MLB ready, have a little bit of MLB experience, and there's going to be some disappointed people heading back to AAA, that's for sure. Yeah, and then also, again, this is there's an offseason. So the offseason is going to prove a lot of opportunity. I, again, I think that there's going to be some trades. These guys have good players that are going to be sought after. Um, obviously, you want to not, you don't want to sell the farm. You want to have guys in AAA that can help you out if needed. But again, there's going to be since with all this competition, there's going to be something that's going to be done. I imagine, but I think again, you watch this game, you watch this team every single night, and as a fan, you should be excited to see what the future can hold, what a team can look like, what are the young guys that I want to be able to be a fan of and latch on to and look to the future of the Toronto Blue Jays. And I think, you know, you've seen it with the starting, you've seen it with the position players. There, There's some opportunity. Yeah, and one of the guys who might have an interesting opportunity ahead of him is our guest today, Rowdy Telez. Undoubtedly the most exciting Blue Jay in the last couple of weeks. He's going to join us now. So we are here with the Mr. Ever-So-Hot, Rowdy Telez. Did I say that right, Rowdy? Yeah. Telez. Yeah, Telez. I, I've heard a few announcers pronounce it a ton of different ways, and it and it kind of makes me mad. But um, talk to me about your living the dream. You're in the big leagues. What are the things that you've seen that is has been exciting? Obviously, there's a lot of them. What are things that are different? What are the what are the fields that you've been able to take away and the food and stuff like that? What about big league life? Um, obviously. Is, is different than the minor leagues life and, and tell us what you've uh, you've enjoyed so far. Um, the atmosphere is way different. I mean, obviously we get, you know, 40,000 people a game. Um, but just being around the clubhouse with these guys, the game's just way more mature. Everybody knows exactly what their role is. They know how to handle themselves. They know how to get ready. It's the same thing day in and day out. And um, I just think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed. Um offensively pitchers will expose you in between from pitch to pitch. I mean, they know exactly how to get you out. They, they can make adjustments in between pitches. So that's the the thing where in the minor leagues, they couldn't really do that as well or do it at all. So for me, that's just what uh, I've been seeing on, on the baseball field, but away from the field, I mean, everything's better up here than being in the minor leagues. I mean, you fly everywhere. The food's made to however you want. Um, you know, you don't have to share a hotel room, so that's pretty great, man. It's just such a better lifestyle up here, and that's what everybody wants to to have. Yeah, and that's that's the fun part of the big leagues. You start to realize how much of a difference it is to the minor leagues, and it kind of, I'm sure, into this off season, it'll even give you a little bit more of a spark. And uh, a, a thing for me is, and I didn't have this opportunity really, is you've you know you've gone through the minor leagues and you've done well and then the year before you kind of had a bump in triple a which i feel like you get to learn from and you get to learn all those adjustments before you get to the big leagues which will allow you to help you what do you think you know from from that last year helped you to you know being able to get to the big leagues this year um i don't think it was anything really on the field i think it was just me being able to talk about what i was dealing with away from the field and um you know struggling on the field <clears throat> your time to get away from it is when you get back to your apartment or back to your place. But uh, when I got back to my place, I was dealing with my family and what was going on with my mom and 
you know, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I kind of held my frustration and my anger and it just built up in, you know, every at bat that I didn't do good or I tried to make up for everything I, I didn't need to, you know, trying to hit five home runs in one swing. And, you know, this year I came in and I told myself I was going to talk more. I was going to open up about how I was feeling and, you know, tell people that, you know, my vulnerability was what was making me better. And that was, uh, I think the big thing for me was I was able to speak my mind and get stuff off my chest that I didn't last year because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. And, you know, I think that's what was the big reason for me. So obviously, uh, for me, I, I I dealt with anxiety for two years and I never said anything. Uh, and I was trying to play in the big leagues within until I finally spoke about it, um, in 2015, uh, you know, publicly. And then I had uh, kind of an outcry and, and an outpour, uh, of people coming in and saying, Hey, I've dealt with those things as well. Um, being vulnerable is tough because we're always taught one thing or another, you know, where, what have you, what other adjustments did people reach out to you and be able to talk to you? I know obviously the blue Jays have a phenomenal, uh, I've got to meet, you know, Dr. Lima and there's a lot of great guys. What, what with that stuff, as far as being vulnerable too, have you been able to see the change in your game? Um, I was able to talk to our, our staff about, what was going on. Um, I talked to my manager, Bobby Meacham, a lot about how to handle things I was going through. I sought out people who had been through the same situations as me as, you know, having a parent that's sick while they were playing or losing a parent while they were playing. And um, I just wanted to find similarities that I had with other people that had been through my situation and how they handled it. And uh, when I did find those things, it made me go into the yard easier every day, knowing that this is is out of my control and all I can do is worry about what I'm doing on the field because that's what my mom would have wanted for me was to be the best I could off the field. No matter what I did, it wasn't going to help her medically and physically. It wasn't going to do anything to make the cancer go away. So for me, that was the big thing was seeking out people who I, that, that have been in the same situation to me. So um, I think that was probably one thing that uh, will never change from here on out now, even though my mom's not here with me anymore, is still being vulnerable when I have a problem or when I'm feeling something that's uncomfortable is making sure that I can voice it and, and get help. Now that you've found that vulnerability and the inner peace that's come with that, I mean, the results on the field people are seeing this year, you've really taken off the second half of the year, but I think what people want to hear about when it comes to Rowdy Telez is this ridiculous double streak because it's not something I imagine you think about as a ball player. No one can like, I'm going to come to the park and hit double after double after double. How was that a surreal thing for you? Because again, it's not necessarily your goal and then a bad, it's not a goal at the park. It just kept kind of piling up. And then next thing you know, your name is being mentioned the same sentence as Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, that was uh, pretty insane and pretty honored to be mentioned in the same sentence is, you know, one of the greatest players ever stepped foot on a field. But now, I I mean, it just kind of, I was hitting the ball in the right place. I mean, um, you know, I kind of, you know, I hit something down the line, down the right field line and took a funky hop off the turf and I ended up with a double. Did the same thing down the left field line and took a weird side hop and ended up getting a double out of it. So I got some, some good bounces too, but you know, I was just worried about hitting the ball hard and seeing pitches in the zone and um, didn't matter where it went, whether I was pulling it or going the other way. Like I just wanted to 
make consistent contact. It's pretty clear so far that you've just been completely in the zone since you've come up. But have you had an at-bat yet where you thought, holy shit, I'm in the big leagues now. Like this guy, I've never seen stuff like this. I've never seen a sequence like this. Have you had any of those at the time of recording, you know, 35 at-bats where you're like, wow, this, uh, you tip your hat, like this guy's got me beat. Uh, probably David Price in Fenway. That was probably the one where I was like, man, that one, uh, that one kind of sucked <laughs> two times. I mean, kind of just, you know, I've always been one of the guys that has known usually how pitches are going to throw me and understood what my strengths are and how pitches are going to try and get me out. And he was just what I thought I was ahead of him. He was one step ahead of me. And that was one of the times I was like, man, okay, they're pretty good up here. Well, even when we faced the Indians, like faced Brad Hand, you know, even the lefties, they were just throwing all sliders. Everything was sliders. When I faced Carlos Carrasco, I saw, I think, two fastballs total and three at-bats. Like, so it's like you have to make, you have to hit their mistakes and they're not going to make many, and that's where you got to capitalize is when they leave something in the zone, you can't miss it. Yeah, are you uh, are you referring to with the price? Because I was watching the the at bat that he went first pitch changeup one at bat, then a fastball that he kind of got you there, and then that that changeup to put you away. That's the fun part. Is these are the things that you'll learn um, with the tendency of how they're going to pitch you because now obviously these guys have information on you. Back when I came up, they didn't they didn't have as much information, so I was able to get some heaters. How how is it as far as approach wise? Are you been able? Are you sticking with your approach, or are you still being? Able, are you starting to learn in the sense of, hey, maybe I'm going to sit on a on a slider on this guy, or maybe I'll just sit sit on slider this entire at bat. Being able to kind of pick and choose, and then use obviously the guys on your team that can give you share a little bit of their experience with you. Um, I'm definitely like you said. Um, we have so much information up here, so you know the other teams have as much information on me as I do on them, and that's where you have to utilize that and forming your own approach because, you know, your approach in the minor leagues is going to be the same pretty much when you face everybody. Um, but up here, like, it, I feel like you're going to have to form an approach to a team, form an approach to a certain pitcher because, I mean, you hear things and you learn things from the teammates that have been around for a while, how certain teams pitch in their own ballparks, how they pitch um, certain hitters, um, you know. So, I just think that uh, I gotta be more diligent when it comes to having a solid approach against certain pitchers and do some homework on on guys. You know, like I didn't get many fastballs yesterday, and I kind of got out of my own approach of own generic approach of staying on the ball into into the gaps, and you know, I didn't really work out for me. So I need to, you know, when I don't have as much knowledge on players and teams and how they pitch, you know, I need to stick with my basic approach of staying in the gaps and not trying to hit the ball 500 feet. Well, the good Lord blessed you with the opportunity to hit the ball that far and you have your strengths for a reason. So when in doubt, I would say you always stay with your strengths, but this show, we like to talk baseball. A lot of times we like to talk other things and one of them is food. And we are always talking about food and having our guests talk about food. So what would be Rowdy's go-to meal is there a go-to meal before a game um and has there been a place i know that you're listen i'm telling you right now you're gonna have the captain crunch french toast today i hope and it's gonna be the best breakfast you ever had but is there 
also to the question is, has there been any place that you've gone to eat so far in the big leagues that stood out to you? The best place I've eaten so far was Yankee Stadium. That food was so good, no matter what meal it was, it was the, the best. But um, now we and I went to Times Square and I ate at Ocean Prime with my dad and my scout, the guy that ended up signing me. So kind of took them out to eat there. That's where they wanted to go. Um, Toronto, I haven't really been out because I was only there for four days and we had like a, a different type of schedule. So there really was no time to go out. But I mean, I've been to like the local spots that are right by the stadium. They're pretty good. I like Cora's. That's a pretty good breakfast place with all the crepes. And then my go-to meal, I mean, I know on TV I don't look like a little person, so I really just eat whatever sounds good that day. But when I'm back home in California, there's a little sushi spot, like tiny, tiny place that my dad and sister were actually the first two customers in it. So we go there all the time. So I love sushi. It's probably the, the best. Well, Rowdy, I hope that you uh, get to explore Toronto. I'm Toronto born and raised. I know that when JP was in Toronto, he lived in like a three block radius. I hope you open it up a little bit because there's a lot to see and eat in the city. Uh, any genre you want, I'm sure we can get you some good recommendations. I did want to ask you, and this may be a bit, a bit random. I want to ask you about your number, the number 68, because you don't see that every day. And I want to know... Is there a number you want and you just got thrown this number? Or is there something to 68? Because I've seen you at 68. I've saw, I think I saw spring training photo or 84. So maybe you're just a guy who just takes the number they give you. Um, no, I won 22 last spring training. I wore number one the spring training before. Before that, I think I wore 71 for the two years before that. Some but hockey numbers no, there. Yeah, no. No reason. They just put it in my, my locker and I'm not going to complain about it when I'm in the big league, so I'll just wear it. And it suits suit me well so far. So are you going to stick with it, that, or is it now, because this is a fun part of the of the league, once you start getting in there and you're around, you know, next spring training, they're going to ask you, hey, do you want that number or would you want to switch? So that is a big question. Are you going to stick with it and go, hey, roller's dice is hot, I'm going to roll with it, or would you go to something else? Um. I always wore either 34 or 44 in my pro career, and Leibs got 34, so um, 44, I, I would like to wear 44, but you make a good point, you know, the number's hot, so I might have to stick with it. Well, and then the other question, too, for because I, I recently got into sushi as a kid born in Miami, Florida, not a huge sushi fan at all, but I can eat any roll that has tuna, in it and that's kind of as far as i can get and then shrimp tempura which i think might as well be chicken so is there any of your any go-to rolls for you and i'm going to tell you as there's a there's a great sushi spot named akira back that's by the it's in the bisha hotel very near the field because i didn't like to go far he's right but that's what you're gonna have to try when you get back but what's your go-to roll um really anything with salmon in it anything with crab uh, I love tuna. Of course, the shrimp tempura is always a good crunch to it. But uh, I like a lot of the spicy rolls. So, like, anything that has, like, uh, the chili sauce or the spicy mayo type stuff on it is really good. Nice. Well, thank you for coming on. I want to tell you this because when I finally was vulnerable, you you start to realize how many people you help. And by you being so vulnerable – 
not only is it going to help yourself, but you're going to help a lot of people out there being able to, uh, you know, talk and, and deal with their situations because life is not easy. And a lot of times it's not fair, but when you have somebody that, uh, goes through the same thing, it helps a lot. So man, you're, it's not only what you're doing on the field is special. It's really, really special what you're doing, uh, and being able to talk about that and you'll help many people off the field. So congrats to making the big leagues and congrats to, again, being able to, uh, you know, help a lot of people. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for joining us, Rowdy. All right. That was first baseman Rowdy Telez. Uh, you know, I expected a little bit, you know, you expect a big man to be a little bit more food enthusiastic, to be honest, but... Uh, you know, a good sushi is hard to beat. I, I will say that. I, I would say he's he's uh, he's very uh, monotone in the sense, but I think um, again, it, there's a lot of stuff on his plate, man. And it's obviously sushi. A lot of the times is what's on his plate, but right now there's a lot of life stuff going on. So it's it's good. I've been around him before. Uh, he, again, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal kid, and I'm really, really happy that that he's being able to deal with stuff because. Um, again, I think it gives us a chance to really, I don't want to get too sappy, but it gives us a chance for, you know, for people that, that listen to the show and stuff like that, man, you're not alone, uh, a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, although times are tough, it, understand that there's a lot of people going through the same thing. So I think if we just talk about it more, it can really help out. And it's, and I mean, I, you know, who knows if he would have done this interview a year ago, right? Like, it's cool to be able to get him on and have him be able to open up and talk because, that ain't easy. So, um, again, I, I, I took a lot more away from that interview, and uh, I'm excited to see, and I hope the best for this kid, and I hope that he is uh, you know, a guy that's around the big leagues for a while. I think if he continues to have the success of the Blue Jays in terms of what he's been through, but just also the kind of guy he is and the big guy and the big swing, he's going to be a fan favorite in no time. You might see those weird 68s all over uh, the ballpark in uh, the years to come. Yeah, no doubt. And, again, why not make it right? Why not make it your thing, right? If uh, one, I was excited to hear forty-four because that's actually the number I wore all through college uh, on the USA team in pro ball. And when I got to the big leagues, I couldn't wear number forty-four because Casey Jansen had it, and I wasn't about to pay money because I couldn't really afford to buy him out of his number. Because that's happens when you're when you come up and you want a number, you can buy somebody out of their number if if the price is right, but. I didn't have the right price, so I had to just I had to just take number nine. Yeah, I, you gotta have your number. That's a big thing. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Even people who played sports at a much lower level. Again, we don't want to hear about Nick's sporting career, but I had a number fifty nine, and I definitely, if I had ever made the big leagues and someone had that number, I would have paid for it. But then again, no one would have that number. It's not really a baseball number, more of a football thing. Yeah, 68 is an offensive lineman number, so I'm much more athletic than that. And even though you claim to be some defensive lineman, you must have been playing against everyone who was 160 pounds because you're, you're not the defensive lineman stature. <laughs> not anymore. All right, on right, we're going to do memory lane. And today I was really inspired when I saw – I don't know if you saw this, the photos of Ryan Fitzpatrick on Sunday after the weekend, his post-game press conference. It's a shame that podcasts are an audio medium for those who have not seen it, but he's got the, the chest hair and he's buttoned way down. He's got shades. He's got these huge chains and he looks like something out of an Austin Powers movie. 
to do his pre- post-game press conference. And I thought that that was hilarious. And it got me thinking about baseball post-game talking to the media because it's really low-key when the guys go on camera. But you do see they'll throw on a certain shirt. Marcus Stroman likes to throw on his uh, height-doesn't-measure-heart hat. And I was just wondering if you ever had experiences with making those decisions of what you're going to wear on camera or you saw any teammates do it. Because in baseball, no one's taken it very far or not very often, but... I, I know people do subtle things. Well, it, I think there might be one online of me. I did a I did an interview one time. Um, I had I, th- I want to say I hit a, it was the day that I hit a walk off, and I did it with a hockey uh, stick. So I stood there with a hockey stick, and then I pretended uh, to answer every question as if I was a hockey player because I was I was not starting that day. So I was, I remember it vaguely, but I was like. Yeah, you know, I was the fourth line guy today and so I had to just come off the bench and get on the ice and, and try to just let one rip and it happened. So I tried to answer it like if I was pretending that I was a hockey guy. Um, but again, I thought Fitzpatrick was probably one of the better ones that I've ever seen. I think it was pretty special, especially when Deshaun Jackson came to the interview and he was like, Hey man, I'm almost done. I'll give you your stuff back. Um I I just baseball is so traditional and old school. I wish that you would see more of that and more having fun. But I also think the only bad part is, and, and players know this, is when you try to open up and be, you know, fun and goofy, uh, when you start to not do well, then, they, you know, it kind of backfires against you. So you have to be careful of opening up too much. But it, it was great. I thought it was phenomenal. I, I think basketball, it really does a good job. I've, I've seen some some interviews where players are doing stuff behind the actual interviewer. I think it's fun, but I mean, that's, that's the only bad part is as players, you're always scared that if you do something like that, then if stuff and you don't have a good game, then they're just going to kind of take it out on you. To be fair, I don't think Fitzy's coming out in that outfit. If they lost, he's on this ridiculous tear and it kind of lets him do it. But I do think that this is part of the sort of bigger discussion about, you know, baseball players aren't necessarily national superstars. They aren't as recognizable Yada, yada. And this is such a tiny thing. You know, this is going out in front of a camera for maybe, you know, two to eight minutes, depending on what it is. And it's going to be a clip that goes on Sports Center. But I do think it's one of those little things where baseball players would definitely have the opportunity to show their personality more. And, it, you know, it is a shame that you don't see people be more silly. The example that you brought up with a hockey player, that's kind of fun because of the way hockey players always are. But I do think it's an opportunity and it's kind of an opportunity missed. And if you saw. You know, Mike Trout, we always talk about him as the superstar who's incredible on the field, but relatively anonymous off of it. You know, we don't ask him to be a different guy, but, you know, hypothetically, if Mike Trout came out and showed a little Fitzpatrick out there, you know, that could help, you know, build awareness in terms of people who aren't just baseball fans seeing baseball players doing fun things. Yeah, but again, I think the culture of the game is is so old school that it's kind of, it would be not looked upon as, as something good. I, I you know, maybe guys should start being able to see that and maybe Fitzpatrick opens the door for, uh, you know, you know how they come up with all these challenges and all this stuff. Maybe they should come up with a, a clubhouse interview challenge and see who can come up with the craziest one. Uh, they need to, what they got, if guys need to really get ideas, go to WWF or WWE, F is the old school, but and then start watching some of Ric Flair's interviews and watching some of these guys' interviews because I think – you know, that's what makes those guys so special is how entertaining they are. So if, if you are trying to grow the game, maybe MLB, take a look at what Fitzpatrick did and, and start having guys maybe show their 
a little bit of their acting side a little bit more, and it could be something that would make people more fans of that player, which would allow them to maybe tune in a little bit more. Yeah, and as far as I know, I don't think that there are regulations. I think that the door is open if people want to do it. It's the sort of thing that you would see, you'd think of maybe a Bryce Harper doing in a different context, but... Again, people judge you so differently if you're not having success or specifically if your team is not having success. So even if Bryce Harper came out and hit four dingers tomorrow and then he wanted to you know, put on something interesting, you would get a million people saying Bryce Harper is not about the team, Bryce Harper, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's a really unfortunate part about it. It's like personality is great when you're winning, but if you're losing, personality sucks. And I think that that's really unfair to the athlete. Yeah, and I think, again, that's something uh, Bryce Harper, you know, he was like, you know, kind of hitting to or alluding to is make ba- making baseball fun. I mean, there's a lot of old school tendencies, and I think here in the near future, there's going to be things that maybe change. You're already starting to see the young guys be a little bit more uh, dramatic with their home run pimps or with pitchers striking out guys and all that stuff. I think um, – that's that's going to be a part of the game. It's a newer age, and and that could be an opportunity to continue to, to grow the game and and have your entertainers, man. In baseball, you're an entertainer. And that's what makes people come to the yard. And when you're not entertaining, you get a lot of blue seats. When you are entertaining, you get a lot of different color shirts in the seats. So um, I'm sure they'll they'll be talking about it. And again, I'm sure they'll encourage players at some point. But again, it's just, it's a tough thing to do, and and when you play 162 games, it's a little, it's like no one, no one has that many outfits. No yeah, one has you, that many. Well, when you play, when you play one 162 is stuff. When you play once a week, you can be a clown finally on that last day if things go well. When you do it, and after a baseball game, you're like, oh shit, I have a game tomorrow, and oh, I have another. So it's like, it's, it's tough to just continue to do it all the time, you know? Yeah, you know, it's that's very true, but also NBA players seem to seem to have that kind of fun with it. So before we head out, I want to do Outside the Nest, talk about a story that has caught my eye in MLB overall. And for me, that's Christian Yelich, because I wanted to talk a little bit about hitting for the cycle and what that means, because Yelich for people who haven't uh, been following, has hit the cycle now twice in the same season. Uh, He actually did it in a relatively short span, just a few weeks apart. And it's actually only been done five times in MLB history. So I want to know for you, I know that you were not much of a threat to hit for the cycle per se. Maybe there was a time, high school, college, where you got close. I want to know how people feel about that as an achievement like is that something that people think is super cool and really want to do or is it just one of those statistical quirks that's going to make its way into the headlines but in a clubhouse isn't going to really land well actually I was close many times to a cycle uh, because of home run double and a single but the old negative ghost rider on the triples as we established earlier in podcast that I've had four career triples, I think it was, and they were all in the same season, and that was because the outfielders had hit the wall and pretty much had passed out so I can get the third base. So there's one tough thing, and that's hitting a triple, and that's usually the hardest part of the cycle. Uh, but what he's been able to do, holy smokes, dude, the guy has been unbelievable. His numbers as of late are insane. To hit two cycles like that so close together, I think Aaron Hill, I remember Aaron Hill was – 
was had a couple in a season and it was pretty special but that is a really 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 hard thing to do and it is one of the coolest things in the game and when the guys on when the guys are in the dugout everybody is thinking about it everybody when they hit the ball and it's in the gap and you know that everyone's screaming go 3 f it like cuz he hits that he needs that triple you know that he ain't stopping at 2 so that's one of the more entertaining uh, at bats, I feel like the last at bat of a guy that's that's close to a cycle, everybody's on the edge of their seat, hoping that he gets whatever he needs. But uh, again, man, Christian Christian Yelich has been able to just show how unbelievably good he is and how talented he is. And the Milwaukee Brewers are where they're at because of the play of Christian Yelich. Yeah, he's been incredible. I mean, a lot of people. You know, they gave up a lot to get him, and he was under contract for a long time. Like, that's kind of the, that blockbuster, but it's not about this year. It's about building a team, and he helped build that team. What he's done is incredible. So it's nice for him to get some shine, even if it's a kind of in an unrelated way. And I think that the cycle is such an interesting achievement because it's something that really puts a light on someone. And the, the example that comes to mind for me is the Blue Jays example of Jeff Fry where Jeff Fry came to the Blue Jays and he was a bench player and he'd had an MLB career. I don't want to be dismissive of it, but he he was a bench player for this team. He was near the end of his career and he hit for a cycle. And now Blue Jays fans are going to remember Jeff Fry for decades to come, even though he really didn't contribute to any kind of success with the team. He wasn't particularly good with the team, but you know he has that one moment and suddenly he's weirdly immortalized for a certain percentage of the fan base. Well, we should poll the audience at some point because I have not ever heard of Mr. Fry. Um, but you're right. When you do hit a, when you do hit a four cycle, I'm sure any team that's watching or following that team will remember that. It's kind of like when you have a good debut, uh, people will remember you. So uh, I think that kind of works out for some guys when they don't have the longest careers with that team and you have a good uh, game or a couple seasons or just special plays. Uh, I mean, obviously, Joe Carter is a good player. Really, it was a really good major leaguer. But does anybody know Joe Carter like they know Joe Carter if it wasn't for the home run in the World Series? No, I mean, he has that one moment that anchors, uh, you know, a strong tenure with the Blue Jays, a good player. But like you said, there's a difference between a good player and a legend, and Joe Carter is a legend in Toronto. It's because of what he did on one day. Jeff yeah. Fry is not a legend in Toronto. But on August uh, 17th, 2001, uh, for, he was hitting ninth that day, and uh, he, he was a legend for one day. All off, you know, Darren Oliver was the starter that day, actually having, wow. a, brutal, having a brutal year, 6.05 ERA at the time, so maybe that Throwback. continued. Yeah, Jeff Fry hit hit ninth that day, and uh, you know played third base and just etched out a little piece of history. That would be a very interesting poll. How many people who are Blue Jays fan remember the Jeff Fry cycle? But I guarantee you, it's more than uh, would remember Jeff Fry for any other reason. Uh, yeah, and if you're polling me, I had no idea who Jeff Fry was until you brought that up. So um, I would agree. And uh, Darren Oliver. Blast from the past, one of the best. He was a great Toronto Blue Jay and a guy who played, I think, for like 24 years in the big league. So uh, if he had one down year, I, I think it was okay because he still finished off pretty dang strong. Oh, yeah. Darren Oliver had a career that a lot of players would have killed for. So 
finishing today. JP Career Trivia. There's a, This one is high stakes because you're sitting at the exact 50% right now. 25 for 50. So it's as the season winds down, it got me thinking of lasts. So I wanted to... I was looking at your last major league home run and your last pro home run in AAA. And if you can tell me the pitchers who threw those home runs to you, it's a question worth two. You can uh, potentially dig your way out of that failing grade. Dang, my last home run in the in AAA, I have no idea. I mean, zero idea. I may... Shoot. Uh, I would say possibly... Drake Oliver, and then in the big leagues, I'm going to say my last home run was uh, Noe Ramirez. Oh, for two. So first of all, did you just pick Drake Oliver because he's a guy who's kicked around triple? Like, where did that come from? Because I hit a home run off him at the end of my career in Durham. Okay, okay. so the it's, it's going to be 0 for 2. Um, the first one, or the first one you mentioned, was the AAA the answer is Joe Gunkel, who is just have an oh, yeah. amazing baseball name. I really wait, wait, wait. I want to stop real quick. Stop. Was my last home run off Mark Lowe of the Toronto Blue Jays? That is correct. I was. Yes! I'll, I'll give you it. Yes! I'll give you it fifty percent because that's a Woo! that's that's fun that you you faced those two thousand and fifteen blue jays when they're in kind of juggernaut mode and you took a you took mark low deep yeah i took him to the second deck my bad what do you remember about that uh about that dinger uh that i was ambushing him because he had just come out of the bullpen so i was swinging first pitch 100 percent, and he actually threw it to where i was wanting him to throw it and i hit it into the second deck and i remember that it was awesome because i was back in toronto so it was fun to hit home runs when I'd come back. Yeah, that's uh, Mark Lowe was actually like really, really, really good that that time that season. Yes, so so was I. Uh, okay, so don't just give him all the credit. He was good, but I was still pretty. Yeah, damn I'm good giving major you leaguer. credit by telling you that he was good. The one thing I do, so I'll, I'll give you the one out of two for that. I do really want Joe Gunkel to make the major leagues because I think that Joe Gunkel is an amazing name. There's so many good names in baseball. I love just scrolling through the draft. People make those like best names in baseball lists. I really want to be that person. Well, now I know that I've hit off of Gunkel for my last one and Mark Lowe for my last one, and I'll be able to tell my grandkids one day about Gunkel, and they'll know have no idea who he is. But he's only twenty six. He could still have a you know he could Listen, become a knuckleballer. I don't have kids. Incredible. I don't have kids yet, so uh, that's why I'm saying they'll have no idea who he is. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Digging with JP and Sebia. Hope you enjoyed this time and tune in next week for more Blue Jays coverage. Again, it's going to be on iTunes. It's going to be wherever you find podcasts. It's all over the place. You can't miss it. Hope you enjoy it next week. Peace. <laughs>